from Spearfish, South Dakota. It's the Black Hills Information Security Podcast. I'm Sierra, and I'm here with our special guest, Lee Kagan. What is your official title at Red Black? I'm the uh, uh, lead penetration tester. How's it going? It's going very well, thank you. How are you? I'm great. I'm pretty excited to be on our first podcast. And I also have Bo Bullock, who's also a tester at BHIS with me. Hey. Hi, Bo. How's it going? Um, I heard that you just released a little tool uh it's i don't know if i'd even call it a tool it's more of a script <laughs> uh well that's still cool um Bo is always writing really neat things he released mail sniper was that like a year ago uh 2016 so yeah, almost oh, almost two years now time flies um oh. yeah but it's still super useful lee wrote blog post for us a couple months ago. And so we thought we would just get him on and have him talk about those blog posts. So without further chit chat here, Lee, I will let you take it away. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, no, it was um, two posts that uh, we were doing together for, for your guys' blog. It was about a tool. Actually, you know what? Just like Bo, I don't even know if I'd call it a tool. It's more of a script. Tool is such a loosely so, used uh, like word yeah. these days. Like so many people, I mean, I, I, I'm guilty of it too, you know, like calling something a tool, but really it's just a script. <laughs> I mean, but if we're using like a stick to dig a hole, then the stick is the tool. <laughs> I mean, and the right, stick so is still really here's simple. The, here's the measurement, right? All right. If it has some sort of like question and answer kind of feature, like, are you sure you want to continue? Yes. Then it's a tool. <laughs> if it just runs, <laughs> then, um, you know, it's a script. So I guess that's the, okay. the definition for you. Okay. Well, then that makes sense because it started off that way. And then I think at some point I put in like a question. So maybe it is a tool now. There you go. <laughs> that's very possible. It was just a some. I wanted to put something together that was that would help with, you know, something that I was doing often, which was, you know, standing up machine and in, in the good old cloud and setting it up a certain way for an engagement and just very repetitive type of stuff that I think a lot of scripts and, and tools are used for. And uh, that's kind of what came out of this. So really, the the main thing I tend to do a lot of is is making these command and control systems all the time. And um, I have a few new versions, actually, that I'm, I'm hoping to release some point this year with new stuff. But, you know, it was just a starting place where I could share something and say, hey, this is kind of neat if you like DigitalOcean and you like Cobalt Strike and you like things of that nature, and then maybe you can adapt it for your own purposes. And and that's really the where it all came from. Lee, let me ask you a question. Um, how often are you doing, like, new assessments where you're setting up stuff? Is, are you doing it, like... Weekly basis, monthly? I would say uh, monthly, but also in the fact that there's a lot of engagements that are happening where they're, you know, maybe a month or two months or maybe in a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So you're having um, to just kind of go through the same repetitive process of, of setting up yeah. CQ infrastructure. And that's kind of where the tool came from. Absolutely. And it was, it's again, and there, there's some things I haven't, I wanted to put in the release that I did on, on your guys' blog, but I didn't really work out all the, the bugs and whatnot yet. So there's some other stuff I wanted to add to make it more, I think more flexible for other people that may not have a Cobalt Strike license or may not use DigitalOcean. They may like Amazon or stuff like that. And, and there's a few other people who've done some very similar things. This was just really, you know, I'm doing this exact same thing all the time. So at first, I think like a lot of tools, it was, 
even though sh- I shared it, it was really for me. You know, it's just, this is what I'm doing all the time. I got to put it together. And here, if this is useful for you too, awesome. Yep. If you guys want to check out those blog posts that Lee wrote, they you can search on our website, blackhillsinfosec.com. And then the blog posts are how to build a C2 infrastructure with DigitalOcean. And there's a part one and a part two. Absolutely. And I should probably point out the part two is more of a update to the part one <laughs> really than a part two. Yeah, well, they go together, but... They, they were written a, a fair amount of time apart from each other because the life of the tester is always crazy. Oh, it's it. That's an understatement. Yeah, it's, it's been a, a nutty, nutty few months. That's for sure. Um, well, I guess it's good to be nutty, but sometimes it's a little overwhelming. Well, that's, um, that's the other thing. I find it hard sometimes to manage the uh, the wanting to work on personal cool things time from the being professional and adulting time. We, we literally were just chatting about that. I mean, <laughs> about uh, like, I mean, so I guess it's not really a personal thing, but like uh, having time to actually like do coding and scripting is something that I yeah. typically don't have a whole lot of time to do. I like we were talking about, like, I wish I had more of that time, you know, uh, for sure. Yeah, no, I totally understand, especially on the personal side. I mean, like, you know, we both play play music and finding mm-hmm. time to, uh, you know, grab a guitar is a uh, few and far between a lot of times these days. Yeah, no, I, I I just brought up some um, gear I had kind of locked away in storage, and it's it's it hasn't gotten any less dusty since I brought it up. <laughs> you know, just sitting there. Like, uh, yeah. It happens. Like I'll get around to this, you know, some point next year. Yeah, don't even talk about like restringing a guitar, right? I mean, let's. <laughs> oh, oh no, it's not. That's not happening. Especially if you have like a tremolo system. But <laughs> off subject at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, Lee, maybe you could talk about like a little bit more in depth, like what what you wrote about in your blog post. So like it's not we I mean, you guys can go and read it all. But um, if you haven't read it, maybe Lee, you can just sort of recap it. Sure thing. Uh, so the tool or script or whatever makes you comfortable, uh, command and control <laughs> kit uh, version two, which is actually kind of inaccurate, but uh, <laughs> I just called it version two. All it does is it requires that you uh, use DigitalOcean for you know making uh, machines up there in the sky, and uh, you have Cobalt Strike, um, and you want to quickly spin up one, two, ten, forty-seven. Uh, instances with a little difference between them. Maybe one is supporting HTTPS. Uh, maybe you want to use one for as a DNS C2. And then on top of that, also spin up some redirectors between those machines and your targets. And then on top of that, one of the areas I've been working on more, which there's a little bit of in the tool right now, and, and I break down in the blog post, what I, I just called defensive tooling, which is used very loosely. Really what I meant was Things like logging, so it installs LTERM, which is a really cool a little add-on that pushes everything out in your terminal to a text file, sort of like a, a history of everything that's been typed. And also uh, log watch, so it's sort of, you know, will monitor some interaction with, with the system. But the general idea was a very, very quick way uh, with a little bit of user interaction, so it might prompt you for one or two things. And, you know, you're just going to very rapidly have, like I said, anywhere from a couple machines to 20 or 30 machines spun up in just a matter of minutes. And it really doesn't have a lot of moving parts. So if, if you visit the, the blog post and go to the GitHub site and just open it up, it's really about going in, pasting in like your API key for DigitalOcean, um, setting your username you want to create 
create on the new systems, a little SSH uh, fiddling, and that's really it. It doesn't do a lot of stuff. So as I move forward with this to make it, like I said earlier, a bit more shareable was to add in some of the things I got feedback on, like, hey, can this support Metasploit? Can this support uh, PowerShell Empire? Stuff like that. But for right now, it's DigitalOcean, Cobalt Strike, a little bit of logging, redirectors, HTTPS, that kind of stuff. And that's really all it does. Cool. That's, I mean, that's your, your bare metal stuff you really need anyway, for the most part. I mean, uh, I, so we use uh, a combination of, you know, Cobalt Strike, Metas, uh, Metasploit, and Empire. So I, I typically right. would try to get all three of those, and it won't, it wouldn't take much work to add that in, I don't think. No, for sure. And, and you know, it's funny, I gave a, a talk not that long ago, just before I, I put this kit together for exactly this reason, where I was um, demonstrating two things. I just called the talk, uh, I think it was something like offensive tool agnostics, where mm -hmm. it was like, okay, you know, don't get stuck in the one thing. Um, right. So it was first showing people just kind of how to use whatever, uh, basically no no real platform, like a no Metasploit, no Cobalt Strike, no MR. And then being like, well, you know, if you love Empire or you love Metasploit or you love this, here's how to pass sessions between them all, all that kind of fun stuff. And then this sort of birthed out of that talk. And I agree completely. I think that's one of the next big moves is to add support for all three of them mm -hmm. and uh, maybe a couple other providers. So you're not, you know, one short fall, I think, to this from the offensive operator's perspective is, well, if someone decides to, you know, block DigitalOcean, you're kind of screwed. Right. Because that whole thing goes down. So, so so giving people a little bit more options would be a nice addition, I think. Yeah, like throw in AWS or uh, maybe like Linode or yeah, something. Something like that. You know, I love uh, a lot of the work that's coming out with stuff like Terraform to kind of do that mm -hmm. infrastructure automation. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to go that route. And, and again, you know, this is about, I think, as lazy as it gets. It's just a bash script. Not not that many lines of code. So it's it's a good starting point, I think. Let's, let's talk about the defensive side for a minute. You mentioned some of the defensive uh, tooling, right? So one thing that I always thought would be kind of fun to do is, you know, whenever you go and uh, let, let's say we buy like a categorized domain um, so that we can get around uh, various filters uh, for, for the network. Have you ever looked at like going and scraping like the old version of the website from like archive.org and actually like hosting it so it looks like the old website? No. <laughs> I, I don't want to say too much and get myself in trouble, but yes. And something similar that's kind of happening right now, as a matter of fact. Nice. Um, and, and I think, like I said, as the current state of command and control kit is, is to be taken with a grain of salt. But things like that, you know, maybe even the addition of working with domains would be great to add in. I know sure. a big one I wanted, to, I definitely want to work in. I just kind of recently started playing more with uh, DigitalOcean's global firewall, where you can kind of control interaction to and from all your droplets in any way you want. So sort of things like locking down connections from your client or from your target, specifically even touching your C2, nice. uh, VPN deployment, all that that kind of stuff. There's been some, let's say, debate, I guess, uh, of late, <laughs> where you know there. I think some some uh, pen testers, red teamers, came a little bit under flack for, you know, the risks involved with hosting your C2 solely with a third party. Sure. Um, and so, I, what I think I wanted to just begin with that defensive option in the scripts was to start looking at things like, what can I do just on the system itself? A little bit of logging, a little bit of you know port monitoring and stuff like that, but then slowly expand it out to 
really trying to lock down the whole chain of communication between you as the tester up to your C2, down to your target or client, and restrict what can even be touched in the first place, which, which seems like it would make sense, I think. Sort of the point of, of you know, redirectors in the first place. But this is more amongst the line of, of really controlling flow is, is sort of my next task for the defensive side of this. Very cool. Nice. Very cool. Have you put much thought into automating uh, like non-attribution at all? Yeah, I, I, I was just thinking like, because I've, I've definitely been on a few assessments where maintaining non-attribution was like huge. Like that was, that was key to, to the engagement. Right. I, I don't know, like some of that process can be lengthy, uh, you know, going and trying to just get an anonymous account from like whatever email provider you want to go through uh, using a burner phone. I mean, that part yeah. be a little bit hard to, to script, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on trying to do non-attribution automated? So on the automated side, I think where I was looking at was... Um, I'm trying to remember when this, I think it was a 2015, uh, I gave this uh, private talk where one of the ideas I was talking about was chaining, in a legal sense, I guess, different providers, sort of like you're saying, like registering accounts with whatever it is, DigitalOcean, AWS, or some sketchy, you know, other provider out there, where you would basically figure out a way on almost more of a, a political level or geopolitical level, where are these service providers being hosted in what countries and do those two countries have any reciprocity towards each other and the idea would basically be so in this simulation of, of non-attribution a part of something that i think could be scripted is where you automate the this infrastructure building using components so like one's in DigitalOcean here maybe one's in this other provider one's in this other provider mm -hmm. and all of those places will not work together should you know a quote-unquote investigation happen Oh, I see what you're saying. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so, sense. so less, less on sort of the threat intel perspective, almost more on the, okay, we, you know, we see your, a part of your C2, but even if we contacted say like a, you know, the legal team or law enforcement, something like that, mm -hmm. they'd have a real tough time getting those logs. Exactly. Yeah. I, I had something kind of similar too. Um, I, I did a talk called fade from white hat to black <laughs> and buy from there. Great. And then actually like SSH to that host, for, like through tour from another uh, host that you bought somewhere else that was anonymous. Um, That's and, exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Good, good luck tracking those logs back and <laughs> good luck having them actually communicate between each other too. Well, this, it's funny. I, I, I talk a lot about whether just, you know, in, in person with my friends or at actual conferences or stuff like that, this idea of just weaponize whatever. Um, whatever it is, I think in certain scenarios of, of oh wait, pause. Lot, there's like a really loud siren. Okay, okay, you can keep going. I'm I'm right next to like 200 different fire stations, so it's it's oh awful. sweet. So that totally added to the effect of us talking about illegal stuff. So totally. <laughs> I think it fit. like they're already coming. Yep, I think it fit perfectly. Yeah, no, so it, there, there's that component, and I think this idea of of weaponizing stuff outside of even just the cybers, you know, so to speak. You know, how would if I think more in, in an adversary simulation perspective, this idea of, OK, so let's say there is some attributable qualities on a technical level. Could your reaction process and your legal process to the incident even make any headway? Um, mm -hmm. Sort of like what we're talking about the Bitcoin to China and the thing through Tor and all that. Like, I think it's one of those tough parts with 
uh, the attribution thing. I, I don't really want to get into that spiel because I'll I'll get in crap from somebody. But um, but yeah, it make, making it wouldn't it, be Black Hills like podcast. <laughs> somebody said perfect. That, that's my kind of thing. I completely agree. I think there's I think there's a limit to what can be easily scripted, and then I think there's also the I don't. I, I still don't know how much of a stance I have on this, but the idea of the sort of moral responsibility. I forget what tool it was. I know something came out, I think, in the last couple months where some people were a little heated about how too easy this would be to exploit people en masse. Mm. I forget what it was. But that also comes up a lot of the time with stuff. And it was one reason why in the C2K tool, I wanted to have DigitalOcean and Cobalt Strike, where it was, you know, maybe DigitalOcean you could get around anonymously. But, you know, I don't think Raphael Mudge is, is going to accept Bitcoin anytime soon. So I wanted to at least have something in place that just pre- just had a little bit of, you know, anti-script kiddiness in it. Sure. <laughs> you could easily just swap out those those commands and stick in Metasploit. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. So, Lee, what, on the topic of C2 techniques, what would you call your, like, top, I don't know, top three favorite, like, actual channels at this point? Like, DNS, HTTPS, like, specific payloads? Do you actually run exploits? Wow. Are you using macro-based payloads? Like, what are you using for C2 commonly these days? Not very often exploits. I think that's that's pretty mm-hmm. common these days as well. Yep. I mean, it depends on the task. You know, in just a, a sort of general C2 sense, not a lot of exploits unless we're doing some kind of iterative test where that's the whole point. But aside from that, yeah, a lot of macro stuff because, you know, it's, it's still the old if it ain't broke, don't fix thing. Mm-hmm. And there's so much amazing stuff that's come out lately with a lot of the tools to help with the evasion and obfuscation. But um, as far as channels and things go like that, I still love the DNS as as an option. Mm-hmm. I think it's it, it's yeah, you know, it it can be a little slower. It can take a while to stage if you're staging and all that good stuff. I, the way I try to look at it is about option. You know, I want to have quick fallback. Sure. I want to be able to change up a channel if something's getting a little suspect to me. The HTTPS I, I think is is great as well. There's been you know I debate sometimes with people about staged over stageless, the advantages, the pros and cons. Mm-hmm. But I'd say for my personal faves, I, I, there's usually going to be DNS in there somewhere. Probably at least maybe on a persistence uh, implant where I hope I don't have to use it, but if I do, it's there. The cool thing about DNS is that it's pretty much widely available in most organizations out of the network. Exactly. Uh, and it's usually not monitored. Like I, I've, it's been so rare that DNS has actually been like caught for a C2 channel on any of the tests that right. I've been on. And for, for those listening, I mean, I guess, uh, Lee, do you kind of want to describe like how, how does like a DNS channel work and why is it different? And why should people be afraid of a DNS channel versus like a typical like TCP based <laughs> channel or something? <laughs> Uh, well, I, I can frame it, I guess, in the uh, context of how some of the options I like to play with it when I'm doing DNS setup through something like a Cobalt Strike tool. Mm-hmm. So uh, essentially, just like Bo said, if your net organization's allowing any sort of resolution of any website, at some point, I would imagine there's they're allowing DNS queries out of the network. So if that's taking place, you you have your vehicle right there that you can take. So you're going to ride this DNS query ability out, out of the network out to your C2. Now, where when you start playing with it, I know when I first started playing with DNS for C2, uh, I would have things not necessarily work right off the bat. Sometimes that's because when you're spinning up a new infrastructure and you have a new domain you just bought and you're setting up all these DNS records, things haven't propagated yet. So you usually have to just give it a little bit of time and things will get moving. You 
can set or basically your, your payloads when they query out to you know evilthing.com what's going to happen is they're going to check you know the domain look for the dns records and if you do like a wireshark capture something like that which is really fun to do when you first start playing with dns uh, you start seeing all these queries to things like your text records for for one example and what can happen with that essentially the payload if we're talking about a staged payload you're going to get these little chunks of queries coming in and out that are essentially assembling the payload over these queries, you know, a certain amount of a size of data at a time, which some would say, oh, that seems really loud and noisy and this, you know, has to squeeze in this payload into all these, these DNS queries. But what's nice about that, if you're on a network with, you know, over a hundred people in it at the least, there's going to be a lot of DNS traffic going on. And if you couple that with the fact that maybe the domain you're using has some history and categorization to it, so it you know it isn't evilthing.com, which just might stand out on its own, you also have things where you can start playing with this through domain fronting, which is you know a whole other discussion, um, where you have mm-hmm. this really high reputation stuff. You're avoiding things like IP addresses, which can be a little sketchy sometimes. <laughs> And it's a nice way, especially on a restricted network with egress options really limited, to ride out if you don't mind something maybe being a little bit slower than the rest. Uh, And that's not always the case. That's just sometimes, you know, it's not as lightning quick as other things. But you can all, and then there's also with A records, there's DNS over HTTP, you know, all these swapping abilities that you can you can use, especially with something like Cobalt Strike, which is why I love it for so much. But I think just like you said, it's either not monitored as heavily, can be stealthier just based on the fact that it's DNS and is probably being allowed out in some capacity if you allow internet traffic whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So it makes for a great option for either your primary comms channel or what I usually like to do on a less uh, what I would say worrisome network where I, I think there's an active hunt team or an active blue team fighting back. I, if I land somewhere, I got my foothold, I would probably want to go with dropping like a persistence implant somewhere that's going to use DNS. That'll be on the low and slow side. So just in case HTTP or HTTPS goes down or some sort of weird C2, like using Telegram or Twitter or GitHub, mm-hmm. uh, that, that'll be my fallback where I feel fairly confident in having a low detection rate, providing that I'm using trusted or not trusted, uh, decent reputation domains and stuff like that and some redirection. So it's it's something I think a lot of testers out there should absolutely play with, you know, from just the traditional reverse TCP or even just reverse HTTP type, uh, type stuff. Play with DNS. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And one of the easiest ways for people who don't have Cobalt Strike to do that is go grab DNS Cat. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great tool. Yeah. I mean, at least to demonstrate how, you know, that, that specific technique, um, it's perfect. I mean, it does exactly what he's saying. It's more, it's more like Netcat, right? It's a, it's a tool to interact with the command line. It doesn't have, you know, extra features like dumping hashes and stuff, but right. Definitely useful for demoing DNS C2. <laughs> and I think Metasploit supporting DNS, correct? Oh, do they? I you know, I might be wrong about that. So no one, you know, don't, okay. uh, don't hold me to that. <laughs> that will definitely be something I check out. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm wrong now, but, but sure. <laughs> it's something I've wanted for a while. So I hope they did. I think that's where my mind is. I want it. It may not actually be there. Lee, where do you, where do you see the future of C2 going? 
you know, eventually companies are going to catch on to DNS. Uh, you know, a lot of companies are doing a good job proxying all their internet traffic, looking at categorized domains and trying to at least decrypt SSL. And, you know, like, I guess with any of our HTTPS payloads or uh, encrypted payloads, we can specify, you know, if, if the stager or, you know, the client side doesn't see the valid cert. So like if they're getting man in the middle by like a web proxy to not actually connect. But I, I guess I'm, I'm just curious, like what, what do you think is the next step for getting around some of the protections that organizations are putting in place today? Ooh, wow. Um, so, you know, I, I mentioned a few minutes ago, there's there's the whole domain fronting fiasco right now. So that's a, a big one. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's something is always new to somebody. And even though it's been a topic of discussion for, for a little while now, and some companies are catching on to something like domain fronting or like you mentioned with uh, SSL inspection, I think the way I've looked at it is, it's funny, I, I just did a talk here at, at one of our meetups in Toronto where I was just comparing C2 tradecraft between like, you know, the, the single lone pen tester, the, you know, traditional red teamer, and then the actual threat actors out there. And one of the things that, that I noticed very quickly, and I don't think this is a stretch of the imagination, is that red teamers will we'll go for complexity in terms of just, you know, for something maybe like a bragging right or a new tool or some cool research you've done. Threat actors don't necessarily need something to be complex in terms of their C2. They can be, absolutely. Um, one of my favorite ones was Hammer Toss, you know, where it's this daily tweet that's got a URL to a GitHub page or downloads a picture that's got Stego and drops PowerShell, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I don't think it always needs to be the most sophisticated, complex thing in the world. It just matters as, is, is this something even being watched for in the first place? The actor you're looking at too, right? Because I mean, a lot of right. threat actors are maybe just trying to hit as many as they can, and they're just using super basic payloads just to get as many shells yeah. as possibly can. Um, but then I wonder, I wonder what some of the more advanced ones are that we're not seeing, you know? Well, one of my, another favorite one that was, I, I don't know if complexity is the right word, but it was definitely interesting. And, you know, the, the APT number is escaping me, who knows, APT 666, who knows? These were the folks that had used, I think it was they made profiles on Microsoft TechNet. Okay. And in the messages, so they were posting on the, the TechNet forums, in the posts was actual command and control instructions. So you, the, the victim would see traffic going to Microsoft TechNet, mm -hmm. which, you know, it's pretty cool. That is cool. And yeah. That, very simple. I mean, seeing, but, seeing a lot of the, the, the public website C2 stuff, I mean, even that is, is such an iffy channel because, I mean, you, you're relying completely on what, you know, websites the organization allows you to get to. You're relying on yeah. uh, the, the actual website that you're using a C2 to not catch on to you and start blocking you. Right, absolutely. And, and we see this a lot with, you know, GitHub, for example. There was that tool, I think it was called GCAT, yep. uh, which I think is around. You know, I know Telegram's been used, uh, all that kind of stuff. So those are actually the ones I find very fascinating, where I think as more uh, websites slash web services that are very, very popular seem unthreatening, and then at some point may expose or offer up like a, an API or something like that, I'm usually going to get very interested in that. 
the reason I brought that up is because I had kind of like a, a total um, underlying thing I wanted to talk about. <laughs> it's <laughs> totally a self-serving thing. So I, I have another podcast <laughs> called the CoinSec Podcast. It's a cryptocurrency one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> one of the things that I saw recently, which I thought was amazing, is a C2 channel over Ethereum's public blockchain. Wow. Yeah, and it, it, there's an actual working proof of concept out there that somebody developed that uh, is called unblockable chains. <laughs> so this is this is where I think uh, this is at least part of where I think some of the the future C two might be going because what's cool about it is it takes kind of that concept of having like the public website of sorts, right, where you're you're using that that kind of intermediary third party as your C two channel. But right. there is no website in this sense. It's it's a blockchain that is distributed around the world. And as long as you can get, you know, your connection out of that network somehow, whether you proxy it through another site or, or wherever, you're posting to a public blockchain uh, anonymously and then also controlling it anonymously from the other side. So from an anonymity perspective, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. That is very very badass. <laughs> and that's a great point you raised. That that sounds right up my alley. And then that, yeah. that, that would be extremely cool. Yeah. I mean, so we, we, you know, there's four of us on the podcast, security guys, and we, we saw kind of like where a lot of InfoSec people were looking at, um, you know, the word blockchain is kind of like a buzzword and, and how it was yeah. something that was, you know, like, you know, 10 years ago, the word cloud was the same way or 20 years ago. And everyone's like, <laughs> oh, we're going to cloud. But now we are in a day and age where every single company has some sort of infrastructure in the cloud and, right. you know, doing a lot of catch up. So anyways, the whole point is that we thought it'd be a good idea to ch start chatting about the security stuff around that. Sorry for the pitch, Sierra. <laughs> no, it's good. I think we, we need to pitch all the things. So it's cool. It's an interesting C2. So it has to do with this. It's not a total off topic pitch. No, I was just saying it's just it's really cool to see. I mean, if you start looking at like the, the technical elements of how Ethereum works and then start thinking about like it's, it is it is a computer. So Ethereum, the whole idea of Ethereum is it's not just like a cryptocurrency. It's a worldwide computer of sorts. It's a Turing complete computer. You can post smart contracts to it that get executed. So you, you post this code that's called um, Solidity code to the Ethereum blockchain. And essentially, this is how like they're creating that C2 channels by posting these contracts and executing them on the blockchain. Wow. Just to throw that out there. If anyone wants to work on developing some blockchain C2, hit me up. <laughs> All right. I, I got an interesting summer ahead of me. <laughs> well, another one that, that uh, I, don't, I don't think this is super new or revolutionary in any way, and I haven't shared too much about it. Maybe I will get around to that towards the end of the year. Uh, but one, I, I guess we'll say realm of potential C2 I've been looking at is game networks. World of Warcraft, for example, things like that. Hmm. Anything that, now I, I've, oh, I'm about to humiliate myself. I'm a long time Warcraft uh, raid guy. You know, when you, when you play Warcraft long enough, you're probably going to start working in some macros into it, uh, maybe in de develop your own add-ons. And, you know, I, I, I think it was actually only a few months ago, I, I put some add-on into Warcraft that wasn't supported anymore. It was a little old. It was a bit buggy. Nothing worked. And thankfully, I have this machine that does nothing else and uh, segregated from my network. And I start looking at it because it wasn't working well. I open up uh, the actual source code of the add-on. All of a sudden, inside the game, I had this new macro button that was created. 
And when oh. I looked at it, this macro had, it didn't work because essentially the game won't let you do it this way, but it had a bunch of shell code. What? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> so then I go into the text file, like the actual downloaded add-on at the very, very bottom underneath this line of comment is it would, I think it said it would be unwise to disconnect me. Wow. <laughs> okay. I'm like, now a normal human being with normal emotions would be like, oh my God, oh, that's, oh, wow, this is terrifying. I'm frightened. My crazy brain goes, oh, I see an option here. So what you're I saying, you do that. so what you're saying is that we, uh, when we're in our, uh, you know, ocean say, stage, and we're actually like targeting employees at a company, we just start finding the ones that are into Warcraft, and then just tapping <laughs> them with some sweet new macros. Yeah, and if you're if you're on Warcraft on on a server that I'm on, and I send you a guild invite, don't join. <laughs> it's it's me testing some stuff out. Awesome. Um, but that was the sort of led me to that that way of thinking, like, you know, game game networks that are, you know, the MMORPG type stuff um, that allow you know, have big add ons community from uh, what's it called? CurseForge and, and Twitch and all that. I feel like there's something there, you know. So the biggest thing I, I mean, obviously, I, I think it's a problem that uh, you'd have to worry about, like organizations allowing game activity, right? First off, I mean, <laughs> oops, it's a big hurdle to get across. But uh, hey, you never know. Um, I, I man, I've, I've heard worse things being allowed outside of a network. Oh God, yeah. So it's interesting, though. I mean, that I wonder what other what other common applications are used often that maybe not are like game based, but have some sort of scripting that you could possibly work with on a C2 channel? Yeah, I think things like, no, I don't want to call them out as, as having a uh, potential for them, but you know, I, I know people are really getting into the streaming stuff. They really like streaming Twitch. their games or yeah, mm -hmm. Twitch, or even in our, our community, uh, you know, the sort of live streaming of, of malware analysis and all that kind of stuff. I think it's a matter of time until tons of more options come out where who knows, who knows what kind of access or a common interest is going to be adopted by this stuff. I, I think C2 is an interesting discussion point in general, because it really does come down to, I think, like you said, with the uh, Ethereum stuff, what's popular, what's big, what allows me to write custom stuff to it or does some funky execution for me on, on their end. Keeping an eye and keeping a tab on those technologies, I think, is is the future of C2 design. You know, it's, it's always going to be about... I mean, I just proved my own point where, you know, trying to make a C2 out of a, a Warcraft system is probably more complex than it needs to be. You know, if, if I was a, an actual threat actor out there, that's probably not where I'd go. But, but whatever is emerging that I see either high adoption rate or I see as unthreatening in terms of allowing, you know, networks to touch it is probably where some focus is going to go. And what those things are as they come out, you know, we'll see. But for right now, I think you nailed it in the head with, with Ethereum and, and cryptocurrencies uh, and, and who knows what, what else is on route. Do you think that we'll hit a point where, you know, getting, getting a shell out of a network and trying to go around a company's defenses from a, from a network perspective will get too difficult and we're going to have to start just literally making the physical aspect of it, like the start of it and actually getting like a Dropbox on site and then using like a back channel C2 of some kind, like GSM or something else. Right. Yeah, that, that one's been interesting to me for a while. I feel like, I feel like this has been, it, with all the great 
uh, you know, I'll just say red tradecraft that's come out, you know, maybe in the last year or two. And there's really been a lot of it. I think organizations like, you know, MITRE, what they've done with the attack framework mm-hmm. has really made amazing advancements in what stuff is out there for the defenders. When I look, why one of the reasons I love uh, things like the attack framework so much is And again, I don't want to make too much of an umbrella statement here, but when I do talk to folks a lot of the time, I'll say, listen, in the traditional sort of Windows shop, the way we may come in, you know, the type of macro or the way it's obfuscated or the type of C2, sure, that's important stuff. But at the end of the day, once we land on the system, you have a fairly standardized set of techniques, as as we see in attack framework, that someone's probably going to go after in one way mm-hmm. or another. So I feel like at the lowest endpoint level, not much changes. You know what I mean? That, that brings up another really good point. I've, I've had experiences on a few pen tests recently where it's been pretty easy to get caught if you do actually touch a system. But if you're coming in, like, let's say over a VPN as an employee, like you've, let's say you've password spread a credential and then you literally just VPN and as somebody who's already, who already has access they don't mm-hmm. see that at all. Like they could have like five million different security products, and if as long as you look like a valid employee and you're you're coming in, you're good to go. That's another thing to keep in mind too: is don't just put all your eggs on the desktop basket, you know, on on the client side right. basket. And and yeah, I, th- I think that's very true. And as well, there's the idea of getting that shell out. I, I I've always started to look more like if we look at the the threat actors, the you know the bad folks out there doing stuff. And again, don't want to make an umbrella statement here, but there seems to be, you know, that once the bad thing drops on the system, I would almost argue that I feel like the maybe not the overwhelming majority, but the majority of the time there isn't an active operator sitting and waiting. I feel like they, they're trying to automate as much as possible. Sure. And we see, you know, we saw this with the whole eternal blue nonsense and all that just sort of land, pop, exploit, move, land, pop, exploit, move that very wormy style of propagation. Whereas, you know, with us, we were sitting there in Cobalt Strike or Metasploit waiting to see that session. Mm-hmm. And, and we're making decisions. We're, we're sort of consciously step-by-step making decisions with some automation. But I think there's there's a part of that where how much can I just expect to be present and speed up? Or the, what you just mentioned, where I think part of living off the land is living off the human land. So just like you said, appearing as valid as you you humanly possible, not just technically possible, but humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Um, as this user, this user connects to this specific machine. So let's, you know, let's bounce stuff off this machine. And and I think to your other point about the hybrid of the physical and non-physical coming together, just uh, very briefly, we did uh, one of my favorite engagements of all time where it was one of those, you know, horror stories where it was domain admin and like under 10 minutes type thing. You know, at that point, it's like, well, you know, we could call game over, but that's not going to have any value. So let's see what we can do. One of the things we did was we moved into the, the actual security staff's system. So we operated out of their machines. Yes. Because um, <laughs> they were logging into stuff. Oh yeah, and so we were adding rules into their the you know perimeter inspection devices to uh-huh. kind of allow us in a little better, and then we landed on this one system where I wasn't familiar with the software. I was like, what "The hell is this?" And then I realized it was the application that managed and controlled all of the kind of smart lock doors, like the key card entry doors. Nice. <laughs> and then another system, and this, I just want to buy whatever cameras these people had because they were amazing. They had this crazy CCTV system. You could zoom in 100 yards away into a license plate. 
the idea was like, okay, so we can now, we don't even need to like clone the key cards. We can just unlock the door. <laughs> and we have the CCTV camera. So it was like right out of Mission Impossible where we're like, wait, 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 hold on. Someone's in the hallway. Okay, go, go. Coast is clear. And That's sort awesome. of following with the security cameras and just, you know, unlocking the doors as need be. So there was almost this converged space in, in the physical, non-physical combination, which was pretty brutal. <laughs> you know, in the end. So, yeah, I mean, I think I hope it gets harder to just get your show out. But I, I think at the same time, just like you said, going after the behavior of the expected user, the expected target is is far better than going over complex with trying to be evasive in terms of how insane your C2 is and how much crazy encryption and, you know, obfuscation you have in your stuff. Uh, yeah, look like a, a regular person logging in. It's, that, that's very effective. We've actually been talking about this recently where, you know, we're not actually looking to even try to land like a shell uh, for the most part anymore. We're trying to get creds yeah. because creds give us access to email usually, gives us access to VPN maybe. And then the, the, the more important thing is that we're seeing a lot of our customers hold their data outside of their own network anyway. So right. if we're targeting like a developer who has AWS creds, that's all we need. Like we don't even need to like go into the network to then, you know, try to go outside the network again um, to get right. to like where the sensitive data actually is. So um, I wonder if that's going to start, we're going to start seeing more of that too. Like where companies aren't even holding their own data in, inside their organization anymore. Yeah, I think you're hundred percent right. And I've, I've definitely noticed that with a lot of the, uh, and I, I, can't, I know you can't see the air quotes, but the tools that you've uh, you've released lately. Uh, <laughs> so much of, of the attacking email stuff, the password spraying, uh, you know, all this all this sort of OWA, Office 365 inspection. Um, yeah, if, if you can get there, I mean, the cra it's almost crazy to think that you may not need, and again, not a blanket statement, but yeah, you may not need to get inside as much as we used to. And all the security companies, that's that's what they are trying to protect, right? I mean, that's, right. you go to any big like InfoSec conference, like that's everything, right? Everyone's trying to just protect the desktop, protect, you know, like new firewalls, next gen, everything, right? Yeah, um, military grid. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, when everyone's storing their stuff in O365 and you know, all I need is a cred to get access to that, then game over. Absolutely. And and I talk about this all the time with my friends where the idea, again, of should I bother locking my car door if you can just smash the window? Well, yeah, you should still lock the door. But they think it's it's true. The, the endpoint is getting a lot better in terms of what's available to you. Not that it's been done better all over the place, but I, I don't think it's as it's just as necessary anymore. You know, whether it's at the stuff's off prem or everyone's, you know, just doing the Azure thing to, to you know, to configure uh, their, their AD and whatnot. There seems to be way more tension where it's like my attacking cloud is just attacking another cloud. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not even about that, that endpoint as much. So, yeah, I think you're, you're right with that. That could be a, a whole new direction that focus is going to be put on. Cool. Do you have any more questions, Bo? I don't think so. You had great questions, so thank you for being on. I could never have done this without you. Oh. <laughs> <Aww. laughs> um, if you would like to get Lee's tool, you can find it at github.com slash invoke threat guy slash C2KV2. Check out Bo's uh, podcast that he does with some other people, CoinSec podcast, which is pretty cool. And also, hopefully everyone can come and see you speak at Wild West Hackenfest. That's news to me. 
Yes, it is news to you. I thought I would surprise you with that. Oh, here. my goodness. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, um, oh, you guys. Oh, thank you so much, guys. That, that just made my day even more than this. Aww. So everybody that's listening can come see you live and in person at Wild West Hacking Fest, which hopefully they're all coming to. Oh, yeah. so cool. Yay. You, Yay. you didn't come last year, did you? I didn't. I couldn't make it last year. I, I wanted to so badly. Uh, Bo and I were talking about maybe doing some jamming. Nice. And, uh, so maybe this time around, my, my luggage will be a little heavier. Yeah, you got to bring a guitar this time. <laughs> For sure, man. Awesome. Well, it is shaping up to be tons and tons of fun. So it's going to be really exciting. And I'm really happy I could tell you and make your day even better. Thank you again for being on our very first like non-webcast podcast. And, and thank you, Bo, for co-hosting. Thanks, thank Sarah. you so much, both of you. Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions, email me, Sierra, S-I-E-R-R-A, at B-H-I-S dot co, and I will get back to you as soon as I can. Thanks. Thanks.